Let's give Jesus a great big hand clap and a shout of praise if you believe he's alive. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! Supreme Court justices can die. Presidents will die, but our Jesus died and rose again. Give him another shout of praise. He is forever the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He alone is worthy of all the glory and all the praise. love you, Jesus. You may be seated in the house of God. How many are glad you came to church today? Amen. This is where we belong. This is where we belong. During these times, we belong right here in church. While God is moving, we are moving with him. We want to be in the move of God. You can't be in the move of God and come with your own agenda and come with your own thoughts and say, man, I'm only going to be where God is at if it's done my way. You've got to do it God's way. Somebody say God's way. Amen. I'm not going to call you guys to the front, but I see about three or four young people I haven't seen for a while, and you're back in church today. Can we give it up for young adults coming to church? Amen. I know you're excited, TJ. I know. Some of you guys, you know, I know it was tough for you because you had your friends on Facebook and all of that, but you're here today. I'm proud of you. And you tell your friends on Facebook that we love them and we forgive them, and we'll be here. We'll be here back on the streets when all the rioters are off the streets. We'll still be on the streets preaching. We'll be in the west side. Hallelujah, because we were there before they came, and we'll be there after they came. In the name of Jesus, praise God. We the real deal. And I want some of y'all young people to meet some of the people that have been coming while you've been gone. So, brother, I'm not going to say your name. I don't want to put you on the spot. But I want you to meet Andre and Michelle before you leave out here today, okay? That brother right there is fruit. That brother right there is fruit from the west side. Going out there years before they ever called us a racist. I'll cry right now. And I'm telling you, by God's grace, I got to baptize that young man. And all that we've been through as a church, he's back here this morning. I praise God for that. I praise God for that. Woo! I feel Jesus in this place. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Raise up a generation of world changers, history makers, roof breakers, God, of every nation, tribe, and tongue. May we all praise you, Jesus. May we show this world that's hurting, that's in pain, that we have the answer. In Jesus' name. And let me just say this to the young people as well. We may not always apply the answer right. That's true. We may make mistakes along the way. People may be able to point that out. But that doesn't mean we give up on God's word or his church. Amen? All right. Somebody say, the world can't hate you, but it can hate me. (laughs) Now, I would say turn to your neighbor and say that, but not here. Because everybody in this church, the world can't hate you. Everybody here today, the world can hate you and will do its best to hate you. But I would say as you go to the buffet, as you go to the park today, as you see some other church members, just tell them, the world can't hate you, baby. The world can't hate you, sir. The world can't hate you, ma'am. But it can hate me. Why? Because we do what God says. So let's get into the word today. If you don't know what that means, if you haven't read ahead the Gospel of John, you're going to learn it now. Open up your Bibles to John chapter 7. I'm so glad that you're here. John chapter 7, how many know it's good to be in church? Amen, where the word of God is read, where the Bible is lifted up above the opinions of man and the troubles that we face. The word of God is clear. It's a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. Here we begin in this narrative of John chapter 7, verse 1. After this, Jesus went around in Galilee. He did not want to go about in Judea because the Jewish leaders there were looking to kill him. Now, notice that sentence right there is not something that we hear talked about much in church, that people wanted to kill Jesus. How many know you don't want to kill somebody you love? So Jesus was not loved by everybody. We have to put on the brakes right here and understand this reality. How can Jesus, the one that we say is the friend of sinners that forgave the adulterous woman, that didn't cast a stone, that healed the sick, that even healed the oppressors of his time. I mean, that's got to take some love to heal a Roman centurion servant and, and to take care of even your oppressors and to do miracles on their behalf, not approving 
approving of their behavior, but still being kind to them. How in the world did that Jesus get hated so much that somebody would want to kill him? Now, I know many of us have been angry before, and we've said things like, I'll kill you, and then we've put a lot of expletives in there. You blankety-blank, I want a blankety-blank to you, and this and that. But listen, could you imagine the amount of hate you really would have to have to kill somebody? To really watch them lose their blood, lose their oxygen, lose their life, they were willing to do that to Jesus. So our Jesus was hated. Our Jesus was hated by people. We have to get this in our hearts today and understand that hate is real. That anger and that which leads to murder is real. And some people actually believe that's how they should live. They'll justify it. And it can come in all shapes and colors, all times of history. And I'm, I'm not here to defend any group or any cultural group because any group of people at any time that can get so angry that they believe killing the innocent is good, that's not right. We should uphold life and love life. And even those we disagree with, we should try to help to see our way without killing them. Now, if you commit a crime, if you're a part of a nation at war, that's a whole other story because I believe in the just war theory. But I'm talking about somebody that's innocent. So I've been thinking about some of the riots going on and how they have gone out to the streets to convince people of their position. And how many here go out to the streets to convince people of your position? But I said, how many here go to the streets to convince people of your position? Can I hear an amen? Isn't that what we call preaching? Okay, well, make sure you're listening to me. But could you imagine, could you imagine this? And I've preached in all kinds of places in all situations. But could you imagine, you're downtown Chicago, you're preaching, nobody's listening. Could you imagine now, we take our group right here, this size of this group right here, and we say, we are now going to go to the outdoor cafe. They're not listening. We're now going to surround them. And we're going to maybe say our symbol is the peace sign. And we're going to say, unborn lives matter. And we're going to all surround these two people, just as an example, and shout at them until they raise their hands and say, all unborn lives matter. Could you ever imagine doing that? Could you ever imagine having so much anger in your heart that you would think that that's the way to get across your point? No, we, we as street preachers have always been preaching, and if it hasn't been done well, I'll apologize on behalf of them. But if you learn to street preach here, you do not learn to present your idea that way. You are not taught or approved in this church to shout somebody down and force them to agree with you. And yet that is what the Jewish leaders wanted to do to Jesus. They wanted to shout him down. You see, if you ever, listen to me, people, if we ever adopt the ways of our oppressors, we are no better than them. If we now desire the death of people simply based on their ideology, we are no different than the dictators and the wicked rulers of all the different ages. If we cannot sit down and have a disagreement with a Muslim without threatening to kill them, we are no worse than ISIS. If we cannot sit down and have a disagreement with someone that believes in the organization of BLM, we are no different than Stalin or Hitler or any other dictator. Are you guys tracking with me? And so we know that this not only pertained to Jesus being wanting to be, uh, for them wanting to kill him, but it pertains to those who follow Jesus. Today around the world, in Pakistan, they want to kill Christians for no other reason except they follow Jesus. Today in parts of Nigeria, they want to kill Christians for no other reason except that they believe in Jesus. In North Korea and other places around the world, for no other reason except that they believe in Jesus. And now, for the first time in American history, there is a group of people rising up, threatening Christians and wanting to kill them for no other reason except they believe in Jesus. Yes, it may be rare. Yes, it may not have ha ha happened to you yet. It has not happened to me yet, but it's happened to people even in this church. The Riasco family, Nini's Deli, they were threatened with death for serving Jesus Christ. Somebody say, God have mercy. It is spreading even to this land. 
And how do we respond? How do we respond to our oppressors? How do we respond to those who may even kill us? What I love, what Jesus did, is he went into a place of peace to regather himself and to come up with the next plan. And we know he was only going to do what the Father said. So it's okay at times to take a place of, to find a place of peace, get some rest, regroup, and then hear what the Father wants you to do. He may want you to move to a different place. The Bible says shake off the dust off your feet. At some point, we may have to leave Chicago and go move further south into the Bible Belt and be safe because God may say, shake the dust off this city and let them tear it down. Until he says that, I'm going to be right here. Look at your neighbor, Sam, I'm going to be right here. Amen. Until he tells me to go back to home to Indiana to live with the Amish, I'm going to be right here. I'm going to stay right here. So verse 2, but when the Jewish festival of tabernacles was near, Jesus' brother said to him, leave Galilee and go to Judea so that your disciples there may see the works that you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you are doing these things, show yourself to the world. Was their motives pure? No. Verse 5 says, for even his own brothers did not believe in him. Uh, the first thing that we see here is that Jesus had brothers. That means Mary had needs. <laughs> oh, it gets quiet when I preach like this. Listen, she had a job. She had to bring forth as a virgin the pure, spotless Lamb of God. But after that, Mary was a woman like any other woman that has needs. And Joseph had to fulfill those needs. Shame on us if we adopt the dirty mindset of the monks who made sex into a filthy thing. Sex is not a dirty thing. Sex is a beautiful thing. God created it in the beginning in the garden and said it was good to be fruitful and multiply. And as a matter of fact, he said that the abstinence or abstaining from sex would be the minority position but that the genuine heartbeat of God would be for us to be married and to bear forth kids. That's why when we see Jesus, we see him as a son and a father relationship. That's why when we see God with the church, it's like a husband with a wife. This is beautiful. We should not make sexual intimacy something that is dirty and let the world have that conversation. Cardi B does not get to speak for the women in this church in Jesus' name. The women in this church stand upon the principles of the, of the women of God of the Bible and follow their example. And yes, they may have needs, but their needs get met without having to go to the clinic or to the abortion facility or without having to wonder who that man is sleeping next to them. Can I hear an amen? And it's the same thing for the men. The men of God do not let the people of this world speak for them. They let the men of God from the Bible speak for them and they follow the roles of fathers and of husbands and our leaders in the community. So Yes, Jesus had some brothers because Joseph and Mary had to get it on. Let's get it on. And there ain't nothing wrong with a little bit of bump and grind. As long as you're married, there ain't nothing wrong. Come on. You got to learn how to put on those love songs. Some of y'all try to make every worship song a love song. That's going to get old and weird real quick. Your pastor gives you permission to bring some of those back. As long as you bring them back the right way with your spouse. Are you listening? So the Bible says that he had brothers. And it was the time of the festival of tabernacles. This was a seven-day feast where they would go back into tents and remember the time that they had been in tents during the 40 years in the wilderness. So God made this a very exciting festival. It was seven days of camping and hanging out with your friends and doing all of this as unto the Lord as a remembrance of where he had brought you from. How many know you got to remember where God brought you from? How many of you know you have come a mighty long way? You may not be yet where you're supposed to be or all that has to happen yet, but you know you're not where you used to be in Jesus' name. Some of y'all just need to go back to your high school yearbook. Come on and remember where God has brought you from. You might need to do this one day. Take seven days to look at where he has brought you from and give him thanks every single day. Never forget where he's brought you from. So it's a wonderful festival. We can even apply it to our lives today that it's good to remember what God God has done for us. And so the brothers 
want to remind him of this festival as if he doesn't know. Of course he knows about it, but they now want to provoke him in a way that is ungodly to go to this festival. So they say to him, hey, Jesus, go to this festival. We see you're doing all of these healings and all these miracles. you got all these followers. Why don't you now go to the festival, show off a little bit, do like a David Blaine you know, performance, do your magic tricks, show everybody you're a public figure, and give yourself to the world now. And I want you to think about how haters will come into your life to support you in what you want to do, but they'll give you bad advice, and the support is really just a trick to see you fail. They'll come in the name of, I want to give you advice. I want to see you succeed. But really, they want to see you fail. How many have some haters in their life like that? That the advice they have given you or give you is tainted with wanting to see you fail. And notice this, that Jesus' own brothers were a part of that mess. Even those closest to you in the kingdom of God may kind of mock you. They may try to put you out there and say, yeah, this is what God would want you to do. He would want you to go to your job, stand up on your desk and preach because he'll take care of you, right? Just to see you get fired and not be a person of influence on that job. See, haters are influenced by the same devil that was influencing these brothers. They want to see you lose your place of position, to see you lose your calling. Even the devil himself said, hey, if you're the son of God, then why don't you just jump off this cliff? You know, why don't you do base jumping before it becomes in fashion? And instead of having the parachute, the angels will come and be your wings. And Jesus said, we don't test God that way. You see, something that could even be good if it's done the wrong way is wrong. Are you listening? Having a job and being a witness there is good. You do it the wrong way, it becomes wrong. Being in marriage and sharing your faith is good. But if you do it domineering or disrespectful, it's wrong. Jesus going to a festival, doing miracles, that's awesome. That is good. As a matter of fact, we're going to find out he does show up there. But it's wrong to do it this way. And so we see that his brothers do not believe in him, and they actually want to see him fail. And I would guess by knowing the context here that they were even all right if he died. We've even had people like that in our church. Well, I hope they get COVID and die. Well, I hope that they go to that riot and they kill them. I hope that bad things happen to these people in this church. Isn't that so sad that we now live in a time that we hope that bad things will happen to each other? I hope that good things will even happen to my enemies. Isn't that what the Bible says? Pray for them that despitefully use you. Bless them. Do not curse. We are not to respond to them the same way. I don't hope that any wicked person dies. The Bible even says that the death of the wicked brings no pleasure to God. He has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. And the reason why this end times is being stretched and we're like, dear Lord, come now, Jesus. The only reason why it's being stressed is because he wishes that none would perish, but all would come to repentance. So we cannot let the haters of this world bring us so low that we now hate them. As Martin Luther King Jr. said, we cannot use now their methods and call them godly methods. Our methods are the way of holiness. Our highway is the highway of holiness. Our character is based on love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And so, yes, we may rebuke. We may be strong in our beliefs, but we do not want to see them suffer. We want to see them come to Christ. And guess what good thing comes out of this? Go to James chapter 1, verse 1. James chapter 1, verse 1. That's one of the brothers. Look at what it says here. In the book of James, he writes, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. James ended up becoming a follower of Jesus. Go to Jude chapter 1, verse 1. Go to Jude chapter 1. That's the other brother. In the book of Acts, we know that James is the brother of Jesus. Or excuse me, book of Galatians, we learn that James is the brother of Jesus. Paul says, I saw him. And then Jude says, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. So if James is a brother of Jude and James and, uh, is a brother of Jesus, then James and Jude are both or all three brothers. I think I said that confusing. Let me start it again. If James is a brother of Jesus and Jude is a brother of James, then all of them are brothers. Amen? Okay, there we go. And so 
so when we look to the Bible, we see that somewhere along the line, between the crucifixion to the resurrection, Jude and James, the brothers, the very ones almost wishing that Jesus would die a wrongful death, become followers of Jesus. And they say, he is the Christ. And you know, you have to be convinced someone's the Christ to say your sibling is the Christ. Amen. And so they now say, my sibling, the one I grew up with, I believe he was born of my mother when she was a virgin. I believe that he is Yahweh. Go back to the James uh, reference. In James chapter 1, it says, I believe in God, and I also believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Whenever you attach the word Lord to Jesus, you are saying he is the Yahweh. That is what that word uh, corresponds to. It is the Yahweh of the Bible. So who is Yahweh? Yahweh is the Father and the Son, he is saying right there. And, of course, the Holy Spirit. Going back to the notes, the festival's going on to remind us where we came from and what God has done in our lives. The brothers are mocking Jesus. They don't believe in him. And now verse 6, Jesus tells them, My time is not yet here, for you any time will do. It's like, this is not my wife, for some of my friends any woman will do. Are you listening to me? Has anybody ever been single, ready to mingle, but you had to avoid the wrong ones? But your friends could get as many wrong ones as they wanted. A woman could say to her friends, for me, I need a godly husband. I need a godly man. For you, any man will do, but not for me. For some people who are priesters who go to church on Christmas and Easter, any church will do. But you need a church that's on fire. Are you listening? You need a church that's serving God. Jesus said, for you, any time will do. You can pop up to that festival, say whatever you want, do whatever you want, because the world can't hate you. But it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. Highlight verse 7. Let's say it together on the count of three, please. One, two, three. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that its works are evil. You go to the, test, the festival, Jesus says. I'm not going up to this festival because my time has not yet fully come. After he said this, he stayed in Galilee. Jesus tells them the principle that when you are of the world, you can do all the worldly things you want, and the world has no problem with you because you're just like them. But the moment you leave the world, the world is going to have something to say about you. Does anybody have a testimony here about how you used to be in the world? Come on, come on. Can anybody tell a story or two about who you used to be before you got saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost and fire? Does anybody here have friends that are still friends on Facebook that like to try to remind you of what you used to do in the world, but now they leave you alone? Now let me tell you why. Let me tell you why, because they hate you now. Or that at least if they don't say it out loud, they have an inner hate, they have a jealousy, because you don't run with them anymore. But if you were of the world, they would love you just like they love all their other friends. Before I got saved, and I know it's hard to hear testimonies about your pastor, but can I tell you some stories about before I got saved? Before I got saved, I used to do drugs and hang around with drunkards and perverted people who committed crimes, and they loved me. They had nothing against me. They said good things about me. For the most part, they invited me to their parties. They fronted me their drugs. They brought me over to their house. They let me sleep on their couch sometimes, and other times I had to sleep in my car. But I had friends, and I was in the world. But I got saved. Somebody say, you got saved. I got saved, and I'm not like talking like fake saved where I just said a prayer and went back to my old lifestyle. I'm talking I got saved and delivered and set free. Hallelujah. And I got hooked on Jesus. And so within a couple of days, my friends who wanted to get high asked me to come part to party with them. Like, that's normal. Let's go party. And I told them, you know, I probably said something cheesy, but I meant it. I said, man, I'm high on Jesus right now. Ain't no high like the most high. Give Jesus a try. And they were like, well, that's weird, but you know what? You can still come. And I'm like, really? Yeah. And I was dumb enough to go. Some of you are still thinking that you can be friends with them on that level, and you can't. I tried. I go to the party. They're smoking weed. They're doing drugs. And they ask me, do you want some? I say, no. They say, why not? I said, because Jesus set me free, and doing that can send you to hell. And I was going to hell, and I'm going to heaven right now. You're doing it. You're going to hell. Do you want to go to heaven? you got to repent and get saved like me. 
looked at me, jaws dropped. I'm telling you the truth. Before you know it, I was sitting alone by myself. You see, the world began to hate me. The next day, my friend said, well, I want to catch up with you. Hear about this. He told me to meet him at the Arby's by his house. I can remember it like it was yesterday. He told me to meet him right there for lunch. I sat right there, and for the first time, my friend ditched me, didn't even show up. These same friends that I used to hang out with within a few days of being saved began to have an inner hatred towards me and the God that I was serving. And I know that you can relate to that because we have a church of a lot of real believers. You've gone through some stuff, and you can relate to this. And Jesus is saying the same thing to these brothers of his. Man, they don't hate you. They don't have a problem with you because you never talk about what they do is evil. I tell them what they do is evil. Now they hate me. That's why I can't go whenever I want. I have to be particular. Somebody say testify again. Amen. This is where it's going to get a little bit weird and a little bit funny, hopefully. But maybe you'll come back next week and still love me. This is the past, okay? So I'm a baby Christian, and I'm not saying I was the hottest of the bunch or I was always the one that was being chased, but at this opportunity, this one story I was, there was a girl who kept coming after me, and she thought that if she kept chasing me, she was going to get me, and I told her I'm saved and that I, I only do things for God now, and she kept calling me. And then I lived at my parents' house, and I didn't really have much to do because from 15 to 18, I lived on my own selling drugs, couch surfing, etc. So I said, you know what? I don't have much to do, but if you want to come to my house and do my homework, yeah, I did. I said to a girl, come and do my homework. You can come. So I take advantage. Don't laugh. It's not funny. But just the, the, the other part's going to be funny. But if you think this is funny, that's okay. I'm not going to really... I got, I'm not going to mess with you too much, but just know I'm, I'm ashamed of this. So I say, come and do my homework. This girl, this wild partying girl that I used to party with is now in my bedroom doing my homework at 2 in the morning. And I've got like the superhero bedspread and all my little soccer trophies. And my mom walks in at 2 in the morning, and she's been a Christian for over like 30 years. She goes, what are you doing? I go, Mom, she's doing my homework. You're like, she's like, you can't have girls in this house, and you're not supposed to have somebody else do your homework. Young lady, you've got to go. Son, you better live saved, or I'm going to kick you out. I'm telling you the truth. My mom said the only way you can come back and live in this house is if you live saved. So I never brought home a girl to do homework again. Praise God. But then she called me up again. And I said, I got to tell it to you straight. You being nasty just like I've been nasty. And nasty people, we better repent. And I've repented. And girl, you better come to church with me. And you know what? She came to church with me one time and then never spoke to me again. If you want somebody pursuing you, men or women, to stop chasing you, bring them to this church one time. They'll either get saved and get right or they'll stop calling. <laughs> they'll stop hanging out with you. They'll be like, whoa. I'm staying away from that one. I'll tell you what, man, that's some real stories right there. Those are some real stories that we got to remember where we came from and understanding that it really wasn't us. It was the God in us. And I know my story is crazy, and yours is probably so much more sophisticated. You were probably so much more a sophisticated sinner. Uh, but my wild story hopefully encouraged somebody for your more sophisticated story because the bottom line is it doesn't matter how well put together you are, how wealthy you are, how many people you feel are like your closest friends in the whole world. You start talking about Jesus, you'll see real quick what they think about you. I think about my mother, stay-at-home mom, you know, in the suburbs of Fort Wayne, living a good life. Her husband's a businessman. Her best friend was a lawyer. They always got along until she talked about Jesus. Then old Pat would get offended and storm out or not want to talk to my mom for a while. You see, it's true no matter where you're at. Jesus is teaching us a life principle here that if you're like the world, they're going to love you. Just like if you're a Sox fan. If you're a Sox fan and you go to the stadium, uh, you know, Soldier Stadium, not Soldier, uh, Cellular Field, you go there, everybody's going to love you. You are a Sox fan and you wear your jersey to the, to the Wrigley Field, everybody's going to what? Hate you. Do you understand? It doesn't take a lot to figure this out. So therefore, can I make the application? Somebody say, make it plain. We shouldn't be surprised if they hate us now. 
We shouldn't be surprised that the, the very ones we've been paying $10 to that they can now become millionaires and hate our God publicly. We shouldn't be surprised that now they hate us. We shouldn't be surprised that the very entertainers we've been giving money to are now speaking against our values. And how many, are you, how many of you are glad that Candace put a good, intelligent whooping on Cardi B? How many are happy about that? Hallelujah. I love hearing about that because you know what? Cardi B reminds me of my friends. Like I said, we were nasty. And she needs to get saved and be put in place. And but, but what are people doing right now? They're following her because she makes a lot of money. Listen to me. We have to wise up in who we're going to follow and who we're going to be influenced by. And if we're only going to do it if they like us, then we are going to be deceived. Because you can find people and churches and organizations to say whatever your itching ears want to hear. And i got to be honest with you, I do enjoy some of those things like you. I enjoy watching a show, for example, like America's Got Talent. I like watching it with my kids. Sometimes I have to fast forward. Why? Because they'll have somebody transgender or homosexual on there, and then all of a sudden you can tell what kind of story it's going to be because the slow music comes on. You know what I'm saying? I wasn't always able to sing. My voice was taken from, from me by my religious parents. And it took me years to get free and find myself. Now I dress up like a bird in lingerie and I sing. And everybody loves me, right? But have you ever heard a story? Have you ever heard a story like Sadia, a woman in our church that used to dress like a boy, be a lesbian, and now serve Jesus? Have you ever heard the slow music come on and say, I used to think I was a boy, but now I'm a girl. And all of my friends have left and forsaken me, and my job fired me because I didn't support LGBTQ anymore. And sometimes my family rejects me because they think I'm brainwashed by my church. But I just want to sing a song to God. Do you ever see Heidi Klum shed a tear and be like, man, I just want to applaud you for your bravery? No, they're, they're picking what stories to move our emotions by. They are setting us up so that we'll think like them. That's why every time when you see the movies or the, or the TV shows, the LGBTQ character is always the smartest, the wittiest, the most compassionate, and the religious person is always the most angriest. They're always the butt of the joke, the one that's never in to what real emotions would be like. So they want to make us look hard-hearted and ignorant, and they want to make the LGBTQ LGBTQ be so understanding. And yet in reality, we know that it's the Christians that uphold the moral values of this culture and that we are understanding, that we are loving, and that we're forgiving towards our enemies. I've had people testify after leaving the LGBT community saying it was some, especially the gay men, saying it was some of the most judgmental, superficial community that I was ever a part of, that they were cliquish and judgmental and hurtful. That's why oftentimes so many suffer suicide. Even though they're accepting their own lifestyle, they're being rejected in that lifestyle because it's a carnal lifestyle. They don't even know how to accept their own, yet they want to teach us to accept their perversion. We love the sinner but hate to sin. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Verse 10. However, after his brothers had left for the festival, he went also, not publicly, but in secret. And so right here we have to do a little textual work to come against those who may say our Bible has a contradiction or a lie. In the previous verses, Jesus said he's not going, and now he's going. So let's deal with that. One of the ways that we have an answer is that where it says in verse 8, I am not going up to this festival, there is a variant in some translations that say yet. I am not yet going up to this festival. And they're old and they're reliable. And so some translations will actually have them in there. When we run into variants like that, we have to ask ourselves, is it original or is it a scribe trying to help what he might see as a possible contradiction? We don't know for sure if it's original, but some versions have it. So that's a solution to the problem. The other one is the one that I choose to believe, and that is that Jesus is faking them out because he doesn't want to go to the festival their way at their time for their reasons. That's what he's saying to them by saying, I'm not going. I'm not going your way. We see this with Jesus and the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Number one, he appears to them after the resurrection in a body they don't recognize. So Jesus shape shifts and starts walking with him, walking with him, and then he asks them, what are they sad about? And they start telling him all
all about himself. They start talking about Jesus. So he does that kind of as a fake out. And then it says, it appeared as if he was going to go further with them, but then he disappeared. And so then he did a little fake out. I think that the Bible gives us opportunities to do fake outs without them being lies or being deceptive. The last one is that some people believe that this is another example like how Rahab gave a falsehood, said, no, the spies went that way when they really went this way, because there are times when you can give falsehoods, whether it's in war or when danger is at hand, so that you can spare the lives of others for the greater good, but God doesn't count it as a moral lie. Now, if you don't accept that for this, that's okay, but we do have to accept the times where there were falsehoods from good people, and I think that that's acceptable in certain times. I don't think it applies here. So as you pray and search for the the meaning of this, I hope that you'll settle in a place where it doesn't contradict. And the reason why I would just say it doesn't contradict, not trying to be closed-minded because I'll accept evidence, is the one writing. It's not going to contradict himself. He's John the Apostle. He knows what Jesus did. He's not going to contradict himself or Jesus. So I think whatever he's repeating to us is to have us understand not the contradiction but the nuance that Jesus is going to do it his way and not their way. So now instead of going publicly, he goes in secret. Instead of going with them, he goes by himself. Verse 11, now at the festival, the Jewish leaders were watching for Jesus and asking, where is he? How many of you have haters that are always asking, where is she? Where is he? And they're snooping around on your Facebook. I think Dominique shared a meme that had like a little ninja turtle coming up out the sewer. And she said, that's where people come to disagree with me. They just follow my posts to come disagree. They don't do nothing positive. They have nothing good to say. It's just they're waiting for that one moment to come disagree. Man, I've got more than a few of those people. And if you're watching now, I love you. I love you. But we have people in our lives that are waiting for us to fail. These Jewish leaders were waiting for Jesus to show up, fail, be arrested, be murdered, and yet Jesus was willing to outsmart them, to outdo them. And so we do not want to be duped into boldness that is actually pride. When people say, man, like I said before as an example, go stay on top of your desk at your job and say, Jesus is Lord, and show them how bold you are. You see, to fall into that trap could be very much prideful. Can I tell you another testimony? Somebody say, where is he? He's in a fight in front of everybody. That's where I was. I wish I could tell you that my last fight was B.C., before Christ. But y'all, I had a fight after Christ. I did have a, have a fight. Where, where is that new Christian? Where is that radical? Oh, he's fighting right now. So I'd only been saved a few months. It was the summer, and I'm working a painting job with a relatively new Christian himself that I had met at church. He had then basically converted his painting business into somewhat of a drug rehab. He, like me, came from drugs and had been using his business to make money to sell drugs. He then said, man, I'm going to start hiring my friends as he became a Christian, and I'm going to help them get off drugs. I'll spend all day with them, help them get some money and provide for their family. He thought that was a great idea. It sounds like a great idea, right? The only problem is none of them got along. They were all sinners and wicked. And then he left me in charge whenever he went out to do another job. So me, who does not know painting, who didn't know much, I was 18 years old about leadership, I would be in charge of the three or four recovering drug addicts. And so one day, I'm preaching at him, and this one guy, he starts to get upset with me, and he starts cussing me out. Now, I should have been wise, and I should have just walked away. The Bible tells us there's a time to walk away. It gives us multiple illustrations. Don't throw pearls to swine. Shake the dust off your feet. Did I do any of those things? No. I got within about an inch of his face, and I cussed as much as I could without using cuss words. I'm like, you are a sinner. You're wicked. I don't know what other names that I use. The next thing that I know, and I'm not trying to say, once again, I'm not trying to say I'm the toughest or I'm the, you know, the, the, you know, the Mayweather or whatever, but I had never gotten really clocked in the face many times in a fight, and I never had a shiner. The typical sign you've been in a fight, you have a shiner. I've never had one of those, but we are yelling face to face, and all of a sudden, blunk, he hits me right here in the face. Then we are fighting, and literally, God has my witness, kind of funny, kind of weird. I start speaking in tongues as I wrestle him. I'm like speaking in tongues, wrestling him down, and I'm wrestling him down, 
and then I pin him down like you would do, like if you, as if you were in third grade, you know, like I put my knees on his arms and I just pin him down because I didn't know what else to do. I, could, I couldn't muster up enough anger to punch him or beat him. I just pinned him down until he's like, all right, get off me, get off me, you know, and then I let him go. You see, people are always looking to start something with you. These Jewish people were looking to start something with them, and, and you got to be wise. Otherwise, you'll be like me, literally, showing up to Wednesday Bible study with a big black eye. The first time I ever had one, I'm at Wednesday Bible study, and of course, everybody had to ask me, dude, why do you have a black eye? And I had to tell them the story. I got in a fight on the job, and the guy punched me, you know, and this is what we do when we do it in the flesh. And so I love what Jesus did. He didn't give in to his brother's taunting to do it the wrong way. He came in secret, and he did it his way. And then we know that he makes some powerful statements there as you read through the scriptures. But let's finish this passage out, verse 12. Among the crowds, there was widespread whispering about him. Some said, he is a good man. Others replied, no, he deceives the people. But no one would say anything publicly about him for fear of the leader. So many good things right here. Jesus comes and does what he needs to do at his time. He's being wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove. And as he does, look what people say. Some say he's good. Some say he's bad. If you were listening to the people, could you come up with an honest decision about Jesus? No. Because where are you going to go? One says he's good. One says he's bad. This is where we learn the principle. You have to make up your decision on how you follow Jesus. You cannot let people sway you because there will always be somebody there to agree with you, and there will always be there somebody to disagree with you. So you can't judge it based on your haters or based on those who love you. For example, right now, if I wanted to commit an adulterous affair, am I asking any of the men here for advice? No, I'm talking to my neighbor who's already had one, right? I'm talking to that guy. I'm not coming to Pastor Berto going, man, Pastor Berto, I'm in love with two women. I don't know what I should do. I'm not going to do that because he's not going to say what I want him to say. I'm going to go talk to my friend who's already cheated on his wife, already had an affair. I'm going to ask him, hey, man, what do you think I should do? The Bible says in the end times, people will look for those to scratch their itching ears, to just say what their itching ears want to hear. And it's almost like that today. Some people, when they want to live for Jesus, they're like, oh, he's a good person. Jesus is cool. I'm with Jesus. But then the moment everybody turns against them, they go now over to this side where people think Jesus is outdated. Why are you guys following that Bible? And they switch back and forth, back and forth. You need to know who you are and whose God you are serving, who's, what God you're serving. I know who I am and I know who he is. Amen. I know I belong to him. He is Jesus. He is the Christ. It doesn't matter what y'all say. It doesn't matter if you guys go back and forth like this. It doesn't matter how many Kanye West gets saved. I've been saved before them. I'll be saved after them. Amen. Because I'm not here when it's popular and I'm not leaving when nobody else serves him. Make a decision today. You're with Jesus because Jesus is everything to you. And then this last part that we pull from this story is that no one, and just stay on that passage, please. No one would say anything what? Publicly. Somebody say publicly. They wouldn't say anything publicly for fear of the leaders. This is where you know that you have the fear of man when you can't voice what you believe. I thank God for America where even those who disagree with me can have the freedom to say what they believe. If we ever get to the point in this culture where we are afraid to speak up, we have lost our freedoms. Even in this church, everybody look up at me, please. I love you. I am smiling. I care for you. This is a good day. Remember this smile. Remember this smile. Even if you don't like me, even if you're angry with me, even if you don't agree with us, still talk it through. Tell us what you believe. Talk about who you think Jesus is, who you think I am, whatever you think about the church. Do not be so afraid that you keep it to yourself and out of the fear of even church leadership, you leave, you run, you hide because you're afraid about what others will say about you. I say that first in this church because we want to raise up Spartans here. We want to teach you to be bold here. We want you to be able to voice a disagreement in the Bible study and say, well, I wasn't taught it that way or I don't see it that way. Can you help me see your point of view? And we don't mind that being a little ding, 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 and everybody in the Bible study go, ooh, 
and then it just kind of like part ways, and there's a little circle like in the lunchroom, and you guys are both bringing out your Bible. We're okay with that. We're not intimidated by that. We may say at some point, now that you have, uh, you know, said all your points, can we now finish it later? I mean, we've, we've all, I think, said our point. The leader will say, can we finish it later? And then afterwards, you guys can talk to four or five in the morning. Man, I used to be in Bible college. If you don't debate your roommate at least 10 times by Thanksgiving, you haven't been real with your roommate. My roommate and I debated whether or not, you know, uh, uh, you could take, uh, the women could take um, uh, birth control. We debated whether or not you could listen to secular music as a Christian, whether you could dance. We debated whether or not you could shop at a store or you had to buy everything secondhand because clothes are clothes. And if you buy it at a store, you're showing your greed. I mean, we would debate all night long on those things. I'm telling you, instead of it being Mountain Dew and passing gas and playing video games, it was Mountain Dew reading the Bible and debating all night long. And so we are a church that welcomes that. So don't do anything out of fear. Not in this church and not in the culture. When some of the people started getting doxxed here, they found out that there was three that worked at a public school. And then the students of that public school went there with a sign and said, fire Birdo and then so-and-so and so-and-so because they're racist, they're anti-LGBTQ. And you know what the other two did? They did this prior to this just because of the little pressure. I don't wonder what they would have done when they saw the protest. They probably would have wet their pants, had to be changed, and wet their pants again. But they had already left the church, right? But Bertle stayed. Come on, somebody. And then they said, now we're going to call a meeting. And I think the staff is about 100 altogether, teachers, administrators. And we're going to go online, and we're going to figure this out. What's going on with some of our staff? Those two, the cowards that they are, because they left our church, and they had their little disagreement with Matthew. We wouldn't do it that way. But now when the protest actually happened in front of their school, and now it was a gospel issue, they didn't even come to the meeting. I wish I could whistle. Berto walked into that meeting and said, Lord, I'm ready to stand up. There might be a hundred right here. They might have my 401k in their hands. Come on, look at TJ hugging them right now. They might be able to take away my job, but I'm going to come into this place, and I'm going to tell them my church is not racist. We are not crazy. We love Jesus, and I spoke to my lawyer, and we got some rights. And by God's grace, he spoke up and was loud and clear. And he even says, man, I was almost going to follow the, the way of the other people and just say, leave it alone, leave it alone, until, it, until they make it an issue or, or write me up on something. But no, he volunteered. He came to that specially called meeting and made his voice heard. And guess what the Christians said? Just like this. Some said good things. Others said bad things. Some came up to him on the side and said, man, that was so courageous. I've been feeling just like you. I think the church has got to say stuff, and I've been so scared, and you're giving me courage. And then there was another young man that came up to him and said, do you need a safe word? Do you need to get out that cult? Because you still might be brainwashed. The other two left. There's other churches out there. Just say the safe word, and we'll pull you out. And Berto said, I don't need a safe word. You just need to get saved. Come to my church. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I had to preach it. I evangelistically spoke on that. I don't know what Berto said. You could talk to him afterwards. He probably just patted the young man on the head and said, no, man, I'm good. Don't need a safe word. People were asking me, have you heard from the pastors of the churches that these people are going to? No, they're not going to call me and be like, hey, we're just checking up on member so-and-so, which most churches do. You know? We're just checking up on if they were good, if they were a good, per good person to your church. No, when they are going to those other churches, they're going, oh, my goodness, you came from that church? Here's a therapy dog. Here's a free card to our cafe. We're so glad you made it out. <laughs> they think we're crazy, y'all. But you know what? The world can't hate them because they look just like the world. They talk just like the world. They're behaving just like the world. But hey, the world can hate us 
And if that's the privilege and the honor, then here we are. Here we are. I love it because Jocelyn, raise your hand right here, please. Jocelyn brought one of her friends. You're Jocelyn, right? Yeah, would you raise your hand? Just so they know what I'm talking about. She brought one of her friends here, and she was talking about how she heard about us through Bevy and found us online. And then she saw all the ratings, and I was like, oh, no, you saw the ratings. We're like at three stars now. And then she said, but I got excited. I knew this is where I wanted to be because if the world's talking against them, then they must be standing up for something something good. You see, people don't want to speak up because they're afraid. It takes courage to go against what leaders say. It takes courage to go against what the world is saying. And we have to make that decision that even if the world hates us and God loves us, it's worth it. We don't hate them. We want them to come to Jesus. Can we stand up and give it up for Jesus today? Come on. Amen. Band and altar workers, would you come, please? How many want to live for Jesus no matter the cost? No matter the cost, in this final passage of John chapter 17, uh, John chapter 15, verse 8, I just want to end it here. The Bible says that if the world hates you, remember, same book of John, and he just goes on further here. The Bible says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, if you belong to it, it would love you as its own. As it is, you don't belong to the world. But listen to these precious words. But I have chosen you out of the world. When you look at me today, 43 years old, happily married after 15 years and six children, this old life of mine, those friends that I had, they can't even recognize me. I've been chosen out of the world. You have been chosen out of this world. That's why they don't know you. That's why they don't like you. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, and everybody remember this now as we go further into the future, into the end times, whatever lies ahead of us. Remember this. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they have obeyed my teaching. They will obey yours also. Do you see it there? Just like in every situation we've been in, there's always been people like yourself. They come alongside of us. They go, man, we love what you're doing. Many of you found us during this time, and you're like, we're so thankful. And then others are persecuting us. Why? Because five seconds before they heard about Metro Praise International, they had already been doing X, Y, and Z to Jesus. They had already been either putting off Jesus' teaching, putting down other Christians, so forth and so on. So when we literally, let me come from this way, step into the spotlight, you don't know me. You don't know Joe. You don't know anything about Metro Praise. And then all of a sudden, lights on us, WGN News, you know, Chicago Tribune, etc. Now, it's not about me, is it? It's about what you thought about Jesus five seconds before I came into the spotlight. Same thing with a person like Bevelin. Same thing with all the people who are standing up right now. You already or they already had their mind made up, and now they're just targeting it. But remember in the story of Jesus and his brothers, our battle's not against flesh and blood. We don't wish harm upon our enemies. We want to see them get saved. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. When I would go back to my friends and speak it clearly, they now had no more excuse. Because how many people were reaching drug addicts, skateboarders in Fort Wayne? Not a lot. And honestly, some of my friends since then have now gotten saved, and they remember those days, and they say, thank you. Thank you for coming to me and sharing it with me, because no one else did. We're not harping on our sins or their sins. We're not harping on the problems of our culture. We have to deal with it, but we're trying to get people to the solution. And if they get offended at the problem, they can't receive the solution. But those who repent and say, yeah, I'm wrong. I admit this is wrong. God will meet them and change them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for bringing us together to hear your word.